Amazing. Good evening, everybody. And well done for coming out in this weird, rainy, cold weather. Give yourselves a round of applause. I'm very impressed to see you here tonight. And a lot going on. I think that um, this next institute sounds awesome. Those, are, those sound like very interesting topics. How to identify a cult and not join one. I don't know, I've been feeling all day that James would just make a very good cult leader. Who agrees with me? I think that beard, anybody would follow that beard into anything. So we also want to help you not do that. So all sorts of things. It's mayhem at City, we sometimes say. Uh, two weeks ago, City Youth had their girl brunch. Anybody at the girl brunch? Oh, yes, come on now. Uh, absolutely awesome. I heard it was really, really amazing. Uh, yesterday, a city woman hosting Come Create. Heard it was super good. Anyone at Come Create yesterday? Give me a wave. Yeah, one or two. Awesome. So a lot going on. Um, I feel like the men need something. I was thinking something like Burevos and Barbels. What do you think of that? <laughs> we'll think about it. Amen. Yes. Awesome. Well, I'm not going to waste any more time tonight. We're so excited to be in the book of Acts. And uh, if you've been with us uh, this year, you'll know uh, that Acts is the primary book that we're in this year. Uh, We've been in it. We're going to be in it through until the end of the year. There's just so much incredible stuff in here. And we're in a current series in Acts called Expansion, the Word of God to the Ends of the Earth. It's just been brilliant. Today, we're actually going to be in Acts chapter 10. And the the sort of overarching big theme, the big picture that we're going to be able to pull out from what we read in today in Acts chapter 10 is this idea that God is at work even when you don't feel it. Amen? No coincidence that that was in our lyrics tonight. Uh, In fact, slightly coincidental, I will say. But that's how God works. Even when you don't feel it, even sometimes when we don't see it, God is always at work. Amen? You see, God has a history. God's got a pattern of supernaturally and sovereignly bringing people together at the exact right right time, at the exact right moment, in the right place. In fact, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you will remember Vaughan preaching out of Acts chapter 8 where, uh, with the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch being in the right place at the right time for the gospel to break through to him. We could even go all the way back to the, the Old Testament and the story of Moses, you know, being placed in the basket at exactly the right time at the river for him to be picked up on the other side so that he could step into the leadership that God had for him. All coincidental, right? All just by accident, Right? Absolutely not. That's not how God works. God is always working supernaturally behind the scenes for his gospel to advance. Perhaps like me, you can look back over your own life and you can remember moments and times where God has supernaturally worked. You can rewind the clock and see where situations where God in his sovereign plan allowed your path to cross with the path of somebody else at just the right time, just when they needed it, or maybe even just when you needed it. It's still happening today. What we might write off as coincidental may be, in fact, ordained encounters by an all-knowing, sovereign God. And so today, we're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture out of Acts chapter 10, and it actually describes one of those encounters uh, taking place, where God's supernatural power brings people together uh, for the purpose of followers to grow in Jesus and for the gospel to be advanced 
And I really hope that that's what we'll be able to take out of uh, this tonight, that we'll leave here realizing that God is supernaturally working all around us, all the time, putting us in positions, putting us in spaces, places, and relationships to make His name known. I would encourage you, as always, to be taking notes. Uh, It's super useful to help you concentrate, help you remember. You can go back to things as well uh, and really pray into what God speaks to you through these messages. Uh, We're going to look at today's message in four Ds. And the first D that we're going to look at, if you're jotting it down, is diligence. Everybody say diligence. Nice. All right, let's read together. We're going to read these passages chunk by chunk as we go through uh, the points. So Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 8. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all of his household, he gave alms generously to people, uh, prayed continually to God. It says that about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants uh, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so I want to take a couple of observations, or we can pull out over here, that I think we actually need to be paying attention to. You see, what's happening here is actually a continuation of the whole story of Acts. Right from the very beginning of Acts in chapter 1, we see it happening. Before Jesus ascended, he gets his disciples around, and he pulls them in, and he says, listen here, here's the deal. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So this is a continuation of what had already been said. And so as the story and as this journey continues to be unfolded, this is actually the third social barrier that we see being burst wide open for the sake of the gospel. In chapter 8, we see it breaking through to the Samaritan. Then we see it breaking through to the Ethiopian. And now here in chapter 10, we see it breaking into Roman influence. And we need to understand that Roman influence at the time and in this, in this point in time was the government authority. And so what it's doing is it's showing us that the gospel even needs to influence our governments as well. Uh, the, the gospel should influence everything and permeate absolutely everything. And so we see it happening over here. It's interesting to note uh, this Roman God, he not only represents government, but we know that he's from the Italian regiment. So we know that he's a centurion. He's a high-level leader. He's got a lot of influence, and he's got a lot of leadership over a great many people. And do you know that this is the first time that the gospel went to the Gentiles? In fact, you and I would not be sitting here tonight if it wasn't for this encounter in the book of Acts. Amen? That's how important this is. We know that in the text it describes this man, Cornelius, as a God-fearer. I think that's very cool. You're known as a God-fearer. That's actually not just a personality trait. It's actually a title that was given to a group of people, the God-fearers. Maybe that's what we should have changed our name to when we changed it. The (laughs) God-fearers. 
the God-fearers, they were Gentiles who hadn't necessarily converted to Judaism, but they were actively involved in worshiping in Jewish practice. We see them following some of the Jewish tradition. We see that here in this moment. So he's, it says he's given his money to help those in need. He's praying regularly at the scheduled routine times of the Jewish faith, but he's not a Jew. And so there's two sort of sides to this diligence that I want to jump into if you take taking notes. The first side is diligence to practice religion. Diligence to practice religion. Uh, we can see, we can tell that this man is religious. He's diligent in practicing some of this religion. And the text um, actually communicates that to us. But what I want to say to us tonight, and what I want us to get tonight, is that religion is not enough. Amen. Religion is not enough. Just giving money, just praying, just practicing religion, even if we do it in a disciplined, routine, regimented way, is not enough. Religion is not what gives us access to the Father. Religion is not what gives us peace or purpose or pleasure in this life. Religion is not what gives us a place in eternity with God. That is not what's going to do it. Just practicing religion, even diligently, is not enough. And we need to let that sink in tonight. You see, being a good person is not enough. How many times do you hear people speak like that? But I'm a good person. The truth of the matter is that that's not enough. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you go to church, how much you serve, how much you help in humanitarian projects. That's not the same as giving your heart to Jesus. It's not the same as recognizing that I'm in a sinner in desperate need of a savior. It's not the same as recognizing that Jesus sent, came to the earth so that you could be made right and have a relationship with him. And that is what we need. Religion's not enough. And as you'll see, we're going to continue the story. Cornelius would later understand that. But I think there's actually something important for us to learn from Cornelius right now in this part of the story. He was diligent to practice religion, but the other side of it is he was diligent enough to ask an honest question. You see, Cornelius is having an, an, epiph an epiphany over here. God's kind of rattling his cage. God's getting his attention, and I hope that every one of us is able to point to a moment like that in our life, where God rattles our cage, right? Where he gets our attention. He wants to say something to us, and you begin to see things in a new light, I hope that when that happens in your life, your response is the same as Cornelius' response. And he says, what is it, Lord? What are you trying to say to me? When God rattles your cage, when God tries to get your attention, your response needs to be, what is it, Lord? What is it that you're trying to say to me? I think it's such an important question for us to learn how to ask. Because the reality of the situation is that Cornelius is like everyone else. Cornelius is like you and like me. Because what he really wants is he just wants peace in his heart. What he's searching for is purpose and pleasure like every one of us. It's like every single person in the world today. What I want in my heart is peace. To know that everything is okay. What I really want in my heart is purpose, to have a reason to live. What I really want in my heart is pleasure, to have something to love. And we search and we try to find things that will fill that gap in us, that will give us that peace and purpose and pleasure. And what was happening with Cornelius is he was trying to find that through religion, but he's realizing that that's not enough. For those of us maybe in the room tonight, we're trying to find things to fill that void in our hearts. 
and in our lives. The reality is the only way and the only place that you'll find peace, the only place that you'll find purpose, the only place that you'll find pleasure is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the power and the hope of the gospel. That is what it is. But even as we live our lives and we come to those moments, there's a, a lot that we can learn from Cornelius' example. And that is just having the courage to say, okay, Lord, what is it that you wanting to say to me? What is it that you're trying to communicate to me? I want to hear from you. And so it's a diligence to ask an honest question. For those of us here tonight who love God, those of us who have been called according to his purpose, I wonder if you ever find yourself saying, I think God's speaking to me. I think I heard his voice. I think he's trying to say something to me. But how do I know that it's him speaking? How do I know it's God's voice? I mean, that's an honest question, right? That's an honest question. How do you know when God is telling you something? How do you know when the Spirit of God is saying something to you in your heart, or if it's just heartburn? How do you know the difference? It's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a question that we can ask. Well, I want to give us a little litmus test over here that I think could help us in this. You see, in Acts, it was common for God to speak in supernatural ways, like a vision, and that can still happen today. But I think that the number one way that God speaks to us, the first and foremost way that he supernaturally speaks to us is through his word. It's through the word. This is God's number one means of communication to you. You know, God has written a love letter to you, and he wants you to read it, and he wants you to understand it so that you can understand his thoughts and that you can understand his ways. And that is why we're so passionate about the Institute. It's not just because we had nothing else to do that we thought, let's do this. It's because we're passionate about helping people understand the Word of God, to grow and mature in understanding of the Word of God. Because why? It's the primary way that God speaks to us. Amen. So if you find yourself in one of those seasons of life, maybe tonight you're in a season of life where you need to make a tough decision. Maybe tonight you're in a place where your family is going through turmoil Whatever might be going on in your life, and you're trying to discern, God, what are you saying? I want to understand. I want to hear from you. My, my advice to you is to go to his word. Every time, go to his word. The second way that I believe God speaks to us is through a whisper. I love it in the Old Testament. It's so often described as a still, small voice. You know, we can hear him speak even in a whisper, even in quietness. When we just quiet before him, it's just you and God. He speaks in a still, small voice to us. And discipline-wise, that's what we call prayer. God speaks to us in the quiet moments of when it's just us communicating to God. Listen for his voice. And then the third way that we can know that God is speaking to us very practically is through wise counsel. We see it time and time again in the Proverbs. It's awesome. Seeking wise counsel from others and watching the Lord affirm his word to us. But how many of you know that takes diligence? That doesn't just happen. That takes diligence. The simple reality, if we come back to the text now, is what Cornelius will begin to understand is the gospel requires so much more than diligence. And as we continue in this text, what we'll see is that the Holy Spirit is trying to help Cornelius understand that. Uh, he, there's also a really important lesson for Peter, one of the disciples. And so the next D that we're going to look at is discipline. Number two tonight, discipline. 
If you take your notes, jot this one down. Spiritual discipline positions us to see God. Amen. Spiritual discipline will position you to see God. We're going to read now from verse 9 to 16 as we pick up on the story. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. Anybody? Amen. Anybody can identify. And wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open up. Uh, and just buckle up because this gets a bit weird. And something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And then it gets weirder. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, and kill and eat. And then it's so interesting to read over here. Peter said, by no means, Lord, no. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing, I love it, they call it the thing, was <laughs> taken up at once to heaven. I almost uh, asked our creative team to create a thing and fill it with reptiles and birds. And uh, anyway, I thought it would be a bit weird. But isn't this, like, I don't know if you've ever read this before and thought, what is this doing here? Like, this is weird. Is this even important? Why is it here? But I think there's a couple of things in here that is actually important for us to pay attention to. If you read this and if you've underlined it in your Bible, I would underline as they were traveling, and then I'd underline that Peter went up to pray. Because we've got the advantage of knowing what happened in verse 1 to 8. But Peter had no clue what was going on. He had no idea. And I think that that's an important connection to make because while one group of people is obeying a God and moving to hear a word, God is already beginning without him having any awareness of what is happening to prepare Peter to deliver that word. Again, God is at work all around us all the time, even when we don't see it. And while He's teaching us one thing. He's already moving and preparing people that are going to be involved. Because God is sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's a God that we can trust. He's a God that's so much bigger than us. He understands things that we don't understand. He sees things that we don't see. And we need to recognize that over here. And notice that God began to work and reveal things to Peter long before Peter even knew what was going on. And here's something that I think we should take note of. You see, Peter was actively practicing the discipline of his faith. It says he went up to pray. It was about noon. And this was one of the regular three blocks of time that any good Jew would practice the regular discipline of prayer. And so Peter's going about his normal routine. It's lunchtime. It's just what he does day to day. How many of you know consistency is one of the most overlooked parts of our faith? consistency yet is one of the most important parts of our faith. Just the day today. And what's important for us to recognize in the following verses is that God actually has a very important lesson for Peter to learn. Before we get to that lesson, I just want to remind us for a second who this guy is. Who is this Peter that we're talking about? You see, this is Peter, the fisherman that Jesus said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's the same guy. 
it's, it's the same guy who had the audacity to say, if that's Jesus walking on the water, then here I come. It's the same Peter who defended Jesus in the garden. And as soon as somebody came to his master, he pulled out a sword and cut off his ear because he stood for the defense of those that he loved. It's the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. It's the same Peter who went to Jesus in shame and Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the same guy. And so he's not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. And yet this is the same guy who Jesus promised that he was going to use to significantly and mightily grow and establish his church. It's the same Peter. And even though Peter had seen so much and experienced so much, even though Peter had already been used so much by God, already in the first 10 chapters of Acts, what we see in here is God still has things that Peter needed to learn. Even in his good standing, God desired to mature Peter's faith and to mature Peter's understanding of the gospel. Even Peter. Now, I don't know about you in the room tonight, um, how long you've been following Jesus for. Uh, as I was preparing this, I worked it out. And for me, I've been following Jesus for 27 years. Yeah, I didn't realize I was that old. Probably, um, that's probably longer than the average age of this room. But it's awesome, and it's been an incredible journey to be on. You know, I got saved as a high schooler, and that's why I believe so strongly in, in high school ministry and what youth is doing over here. I got saved as a high schooler. I was a teenager when I gave my life to Jesus. It's when I understood the gospel for the first time. And I've been following him. I've been chasing after him now for 27 years. But here's what I know, that I'm no more saved today than I was as a 16-year-old boy. Amen. Because as the Lord has grown me, I understand the gospel so much more today than I did when I was 16. I understand more about theology. I understand more about the word. And does that mean I'm more saved? No, it doesn't. What we call this, if we use some churchy language, is the process of sanctification. It's the process of me growing to become more and more like Jesus, of maturing to understand his word more, to understand salvation more, to understand grace more. This is the process that we're in, becoming mature and confident in who I am and who I am in Jesus and who Jesus is. It's sanctification. And this, I think, is one of those sanctifying moments in the life of Peter. Because although he loved God, he was being used by God, he was positioned exactly where God needed him to be in this moment. Although he was disciplined, he was praying, he was doing everything that he needed to do, God still had some lessons that he needed to learn to help him to grow, to help him understand more the fullness of the gospel. And for him, for Peter, that means, Peter, you've got to acknowledge some things in your life have to change. And maybe even tonight, God's stirring something in your heart and saying, hey, even you tonight, you might need to acknowledge that there's some things that you need to change as your process of sanctification continues to happen as you're maturing in Jesus. But how many of you know humans are resistant to change? Amen. I've asked for a show of hands across the day. Who loves change? Anybody here? Wow, not even one. Oh, there, one. Oh, there we go. One, two, three. <laughs> Generally, we don't like change. In fact, you know, as humans, we're pretty much notoriously awful at change. And I get it. It's because we get comfortable. We're comfortable in what we know. There's safety. There's security in what is familiar. I get that. 
But Peter had to realize that there are some things about even your understanding of the gospel that are incomplete. And I desire to reveal that to you, to help you to grow. And for him, it was some of this ritual practice of the Jewish faith. As God was trying to help his people understand the gospel um, influence in the Gentiles, and these kinds of traditions and customs wouldn't fit in their culture. And so he was trying to help them to understand how those things needed to change. But we see Peter here just being inflexible or even stubborn is probably a better word to use. Because if you look at the response, the first time he has the vision, and he's told what, what, what to do, and he's like, no, 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 no. All my life, this is the way I've done it. All my life, I've been a good boy. I've done it the right way. And so three different times he has to hear this word. And here's something that I know, if you're jotting down notes, take this one down. When God repeats himself, we'd better pay attention. I wonder how many times this happened in your life. Plenty in mine. When God repeats himself, you'd better pay attention. Because there are some rough edges, probably even in your life tonight, that the Spirit of God is trying to sand off and smooth out. For some of us, maybe we're a bit stubborn. And maybe he has to repeat himself once, twice, three times, more times, I don't know. But pay attention when God repeats himself in your life. Maybe even if we go back to Cornelius' example, he's saying, okay, Lord, well, what is it? What is it that you're trying to say? We have to be aware that when our preferences cut across, across God's plan, we must submit to his will. When our preferences cut across God's plan, we must submit to his will. Amen. You see, we can see it in Peter in the sanctification process in his life. And this would be my challenge for every single one of us in the room tonight. It should be a regular matter of prayer that you pray for the sanctification of yourself and the sanctification of others. We need to pray for one another's sanctification. God, won't you help me and won't you help those I love that are part of my faith family to continually grow and become moved from where we are to becoming the people that you want us to be. That should be a regular part of our prayer life. And that could be a frightening journey for us to go on. But what an incredible journey it is to go on. It takes us on to our third D for tonight, and that is disruption. You see, the truth of the matter is, when God speaks, it could sometimes not even make sense to us. When God speaks, it will always make sense, but sometimes it doesn't make sense to us in our human understanding. And so we're going to look uh, again in the text, but notice the attitude of Peter uh, in verse 17 through to 23. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, (laughs) say inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, understandable, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. 
So he invited them in to be his guests. So notice Peter's attitude over here. He hears the vision. He hears this word. But it's disruptive to what he was thinking. It's a disruption to his own thinking. And so he's confused. I wonder if that's ever happened in your life. That's, something has happened in your life that's just left you confused. It's left you baffled. Maybe like it says in the, in here, it's, it's left you inwardly perplexed. I wonder if there's been a moment in your life where you've just stepped back and said, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense to me. I've had those moments in my life, and I'm sure every one of us in the room have had those moments. You know, maybe it's something deeply personal that happens. You, you walk into your office one day and you're told to clear out your desk. It's over. And you're baffled, you're confused. Maybe you get a phone call one day and somebody that you love has been tragically killed. Maybe it's the doctor's appointment where you receive news that you would have never expected. You see, we see and we hear these things happen in our life. We see these things happen in the the world around us. And we naturally step back. We're naturally confused. We say, God, what in the world are you doing? But I'm actually encouraged by Peter here. Because even in his confusion, what did Peter do? He obeyed. Amen. Peter obeyed. Without knowing what was going on fully, the Spirit of God says to him, Peter, get up, go downstairs. And so Peter's response is just to say, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll get up, I'll go downstairs. I might be walking into an ambush. I might be walking into something. I don't know what I'm walking into. I'm completely blind, but I'm going to do it. Peter had the courage to get up and go. And notice what happens when he does. He doesn't just go down and just walk down the stairs into the room. What it tells us is he practices hospitality and even invites them in and gives them lodging for the night. That might not sound like much, but you've got to understand that this was a no-no. According to Jewish custom, you would never allow Gentiles to come in to eat or to sleep in your house. It would never happen. But we see Peter stepping out in faith. We see him listening. We see him practicing hospitality. He's violating tradition because for him, there was no other option but to obey what God has told him to do. For him, there just simply was no other option. And I think what's important for us to note here is it super easy if we if we read in this in the first part of this we read in the early verses of this to come to the conclusion definitely Cornelius is the lead role of the story Cornelius is the hero of the story then we get to this part of the story we think no 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 it's definitely Peter he's the lead role in the story but the truth of the matter is that neither of those things is true because how many of you know it's the Holy Spirit who's the lead role in the story It's the Holy Spirit. God himself is orchestrating these people to come together for a specific reason so that Peter can learn something important and so that the gospel can be advanced. And that is also true for us today. You and I need to listen for God to speak when things might not be clear. Peter had to make a decision. He had to get up and he had to go downstairs. And sometimes for us in our lives, When something like this happens, when there's a disruption in our life, when we're listening for God to speak and we reach a point of decision, have you ever asked yourself, how do you know that you've made the right decision? Has anybody ever thought, how do you know that you've made the right decision? It's it's actually a real real question. I think that's an honest question. How do you know? 
I'll give you the answer of how you know you've made the right decision. You'll only know you've made the right decision after you've made the decision. Because walking by faith is acknowledging I've got to take a step and trust that what God is doing in this moment without any full assurance of what comes next. Understanding only comes after obedience. Which is why I love Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6. And that was so awesome that Munya already shared that with us tonight. You're probably familiar with the passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then, what? He will make straight your paths. Understanding comes after obedience. And this, vo- this verse is what takes us into our fourth and final point in our last few minutes tonight, and that is direction. You with me tonight? Direction. You see, when God speaks, he opens doors for the gospel to be shared. That's what God does. And so we begin to see part of the reason of why this whole thing happened. So let's read together the last portion tonight. Uh, Verse 24 says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person, here it is, common or unclean. So when I was sent for... I came without objection. I asked them, why did you send me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, lodging at the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so what I see happening over here in my mind is that it's almost like there's these two men on opposite sides of a mountain sort of digging a tunnel towards each other. And through a supernatural move of God, they break free at the exact same point. You see, God has led Cornelius on this journey that was led by a supernatural message, but God has led Peter on this journey, which was also led by a supernatural message, so that at just the right time, their paths would cross. Why? So that Peter could understand the gospel more fully, and so that Cornelius and all of his house and all of his friends could hear the gospel And what we'll see next week as we continue through the second half of chapter 10, we'll see how they respond. Because this is kind of part A of a two-part beautiful story. So it says, if Peter and Cornelius come together from opposite sides of a mountain, tunneling together, and then at just the right time they break out. 
in this moment, we see Cornelius had the confidence, because in verse 24, that God had a message for him, and he had so much confidence that Peter was going to show up, and that he, had, that he would have a message, that he calls all of his friends and all of his family, and he says, you guys have to be here. You have to be in the room to hear this, because I don't know what it is, but there's a word coming from the Lord, and we need to be ready to hear it. And then Cornelius had confidence, but Peter had courage. In verse 28, Peter had the courage to step into something. It says, why did you ask me? He says, why did you ask me here? But we see that he had the courage to step into some things that were unknown, just trusting, taking one step at a time, that doing what the Lord was telling him to do, and that God would make his paths straight. But I think that it's important that we notice what happens here in the text. Because Cornelius' first response is to do what? Is to bow down and worship Peter. Isn't that funny? And Peter says, no, I'm just a man. Just get up. You see, the truth of the matter is that God has a habit of using people. But how many of you know people don't possess the power? Who's the lead role in the story? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that possesses the power. And he uses people like you and me. And so everybody's there, including Peter, Cornelius, friends, and family. And in verse 33, I just love it, the acknowledge that God has brought us together for something special. And it wasn't just to bribe and Netflix or whatever. It was something special. He had brought them together to advance the gospel. God had brought them together to make his name known. It was God who had brought them together in this moment. And so they're all there. They're all there to hear what is it that God wants to say to us. And I pray that that is the attitude of our hearts every single day, whether that's individually or whether that's corporately. I pray that our attitude every time we gather as a church is to say, I'm here expecting to hear from God. Amen. We come expecting to hear from him. God, you have a word for us. We want to hear it because we know that you speak through your word. We know that you speak through a whisper. We know that you speak through wise counsel. And so as a church, we need to stand together in the presence of God and be ready to hear his word to us. Amen. Amazing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight as the band joins me here on stage. As we just take a couple of moments to reflect on what God is saying to you tonight in this place. I think there's, there's a couple of steps, there's a couple of applications that we can take out of this tonight. And so, won't you close your eyes with me as we reflect on what God is speaking to us about. You might be here tonight, and what has really stood out for you is you have realized in this moment tonight that you have spent your life practicing religion, maybe even been diligent in religion, Maybe tonight God's pulling on your heart to say, actually, I want a relationship with you. And so maybe your response tonight is to say, I'm done with practicing religion, and what I want is relationship with Jesus. Perhaps tonight you're here, and you're saying, actually, what I want to do is I need to commit time alone in prayer, prayer with God and time in His Word, so that I can position myself to more clearly hear from God. Position yourself in His presence. My prayer for us as a church tonight is that we would choose to trust God 
for the courage of heaven to see the advance of the gospel through whatever God wants to do in any of our lives and through whatever God wants to do through the life of this church. You know, this year already having seen so much of what God is doing through this church, my prayer is that as a church we would strive for unity in the Holy Spirit, the lead role in our story, and the lead role in every one of our lives. Amen. We're going to worship again right now, and I'm going to encourage you just to cry out to God, ask Him to speak to you in this moment as we worship Him together.